Welcome to On Texas Football. I'm Bobby Purton, your host, joined today by uh, none other than uh, ULM grad transfer Boogie Knight. Uh, <laughs> I'm kidding. It's really actually Paul Wadlington, uh, uh, the uh, Dean of uh, Sports Writing for InsideTexas.com. Paul, how are you doing today? I'm doing great. How are you, Bobby? Good. I can't help but laugh. You 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 made that name on the uh, the Chiron there, and it's uh, it's uh, funny, uh, but so true at the same time. Uh, you know, Longhorns have uh, ULM coming up uh, this Saturday night uh, in DKR, uh, Texas, trying to get off to a good start uh, this season. Uh, you've looked into all the teams uh, that yep. Texas is preparing for this year in your uh, think, Thinking Texas Football um, preseason magazine. That still a couple more days left to get that on Amazon and, and other aspects. Uh, but Paul, it's still relevant for forty-eight more hours, Bobby. Yeah, yeah. I, well, I, I love giving you a plug because I think you do such great work, um, Paul. Your uh, your initial take on this game, uh, where where you think Texas should uh, end up after it. Uh, how they how they should win, uh, whether it's going to be close or not, et cetera. You know, sometimes I'm guilty of the Lou Holtz thing where you research an opponent and you watch a game. And, of course, you're watching highlights often. And you're like, wow, you know, these – oh, man, the Rice Owls, they're, they're better this year than people think. And, you know, and I'll get a little psyched out. And then I, I researched Louisiana Monroe starting back in the summer. And uh, they're not good. They're not a good football team. Uh, doesn't mean Texas can't struggle a little bit in this game, primarily because of Texas problems, you know, around execution, youth, making some mistakes. You know, there's going to be some weather in this game, potentially maybe a wet football. Who knows, right? But it's not going to be a lot of what Louisiana Monroe does to Texas. Uh, they've got a couple of decent players. They have several players who are, who are state of Texas born and bred. So anytime those guys get to play the University of By God, Texas, they're going to be pretty fired up. They got a bunch of guys from Allen, a bunch of guys from Frisco, East Texas dudes, as you'd expect. And then um, I mean, it's kind of combined with a bunch of Mississippi JUCOs. That's sort of their team. And then they have a, a very entertaining head football coach, Bobby, as, a, as an old college football salt. You probably know a couple of Terry Bowden stories, just like I do. Uh, but, you know, they're just not a great football team. This this is a game that's about Texas. It's it's not about what Louisiana Monroe does. It's about what Texas does or does not do. And uh, despite the efforts of the gentleman, oh wait, this way. Oh no, this way. Uh, this gentleman, Boogie Knight, their number one receiver. Gotta love his name. Uh, love the attitude. He's 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 not exactly Quentin Johnston at TCU. And uh, his given name, his Christian name is Jeremiah Bobby. He's just. He just happens to be a, a Marky Mark fan and loves Paul Thomas Anderson films. <laughs> uh, Paul, uh, always uh, uh, unique in your view. Um, I, I do the same thing as you. I, I start reading up on a team and perhaps get enamored with the adjectives, yes. right? Or the statistics that, that maybe say something that the film doesn't at times, right? right? Um, and I think we all do that in... Uh, at the same time, you know, people tend to overestimate what Texas brings to the table year after year in the same way. Well, this yes. is a five-star recruit or a four-star recruit. Thereby, Texas should beat everybody else, right? Yes. Um, and so I think that that there's it can it cuts both ways. Uh, and um, in my opinion, Texas this year is in, on the cusp of really showcasing some some elite talent i mean no doubt is Bijan robinson a great player i mean it i don't know if he's a great all-around player we're going to see if he's improved his blocking some stuff like that this year but he's a great runner of the football i we know that that doesn't it doesn't matter whether he's a two-star three-star four-star was the five-star that he was coming out of high school um but but we've got to see that yet from quinn ewers right he hasn't done it at the college level We've got to see it with a couple of these young offensive linemen. Uh, and furthermore, the defense doesn't have any of those guys in the first place. Um, and so, or not many. Um, and so we've got to see exactly what the hyperbole matches for Texas just as much as we do uh, for Louisiana Monroe. Yeah, I, fortunately, I'm not subject 
or victim of the hyperbole for Texas. Uh, I don't fall for the banana in the tailpipe. I've, I crossed that bridge a long time ago. Uh, what's funny is in my writing about Texas football, I was mocked very early in the Mac Brown era as a burnt orange Kool-Aid guy because I thought he had the ingredients to turn this thing around quickly, and he did. And then when Texas was high and mighty and cruising along, I sensed a lot of complacency had set in on the program and that we were going to have to pay that debit sometime down the road. And then that debit happened in 2010. Uh, And at that time I was considered some kind of hater because I'm writing in that Alabama post national championship game off season that, Hey, there's some bad indicators, you know, that are some chickens are going to come home to roost for things that we've been doing in this program and neglecting. And I don't know when it's going to happen, but it's coming. And I was, you know, Scipio the hater for a while. And then it fell apart. And then I thought maybe Mac had found some religion and an urgency and hiring Brian Harson and those guys. I thought we could turn it around. Maybe didn't happen. And then since then I've been, I've been pretty, pretty realistic about Texas and the, the true talent we have. And one thing that has frustrated me about Texas fans and some Texas analysts, frankly, is they talk about talent as this abstract quality. You know, talent is what you can do, right? It's not what you're theorized to be. It's what you can actually do. And, uh, you know, that applies to whether you're a football player or whether you're Boogie Knight. Yeah, or engineer. I mean, you don't want the engineer that has, you know, un, you know, you don't want the engineer that uh, thinks he can build a building or has the the, the brain to, to build a building. You want him to actually be able to draw up the blueprints and do it. Well, yeah, Bobby, I lived in Silicon Valley for 18 years and I met a lot of guys who had all the resumes and credentials and some of them were absolutely brilliant. And I would just sit and sort of ask them questions and and learn. And some I realized pretty quickly this guy was a facade. He was he was a construction of credentialism and kind of an idiot and kind of a buffoon and just sort of a privileged guy who just fell forward in life and failed upwards and, you know, there's some of that in football, too. And uh, you, you kind of learn to recognize it fairly quickly because, you know, film don't lie. Yeah. I, Paul, I um, always enjoy listening to your takes on this stuff. What, what are you thinking right now as it relates to Texas and their arch as a program? Uh, and what I mean by that is, or arc, I should say, not arch. That's that's well, they're probably actually, the two things. That's relevant. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they're probably the two things combined, right? Um, do you, do you sense you, you go back to that time with Mac when you, you felt like maybe some things were going wrong. Do you feel like some things are going right right now for Steve Sarkeesian? Hello, it is Ryan. And we could all use an extra bright spot in our day. Couldn't we just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Yeah. Uh, I had some questions initially about some of the approach from Sarkeesian as a recruiter. Uh, particularly closing and recognition. Um, you know, Mac Brown could close anyone. Uh, he was closing some of the wrong guys. Right? Uh, Steve Sarkeesian, I was a little concerned about his aggressive, you know, aggression and, and asking for the business, frankly, closing and getting some of these guys. Right. And I think that he's changed a little bit in that respect. I think he's figured out the lay of the land, the landscape, how recruiting's done here. And then also, uh, I think they've done a pretty good job of identification. You know, I think they're going after the right folks and that's encouraging. Um, I don't, I don't watch film of guys we're trying to recruit and sort of roll my eyes and go like, what is this? I mean, uh, I don't see that. Uh, I think as a representative of the university, I think he's fantastic. I think he's, and I don't mean, I don't think he's slick. I think he's just, I think he's a good dude. I I, want to hang out with Sark. I like Steve Sarkeesian. I, I want him to be successful for reasons beyond just me being a Texas fan and, 
it's a lot more fun to ride it inside Texas when we're beating the crap out of people rather than, you know, losing a heartbreaker. And I, you know, I just like the guy. I want him to succeed. I think a lot of Longhorn fans like him. And I think he would, he would be good for college football. I think he's good for the university. Uh, so I think he's good at, in that level. Uh, obviously, he's a great offensive mind. I think the questions are, you know, that will sink any coach like Sark is are you taking care of the position coaching? You know, are you teaching the football game all across the board at every position, right? Offensive line, defensive side, you know, beyond just coordinating and scheme. And then strength and conditioning. You know, I've, I've been kind of more than just hinting around that I think we might have some approaches that are not optimal. And I think some of the offseason evaluation revealed that the coaches might have agreed with me a little bit. Uh, we don't really know what happened behind the scenes. We'll know when I see the football team line up. Uh, but I know the football team that played last year was, uh, was weak. There, that was a weak football team. And I don't, you know, I mean, physically weak. And uh, that was a big reason they wore down over the course of the game. Uh, when, you're, when, you're, when you're weak, when you're not strong, you have to play really hard to be competitive. And, and it, you actually, uh, you know, having a good strength level, a lot of power as a player helps your endurance because you're able to operate more sub-maximally, right, and still be competitive. But if you have to give your all on every play just to hang in there, you're going to be worn out by the middle of the third quarter. You're done. So I'll be watching that one uh, like a hawk, certainly in year two. And, uh, you know, if I see encouraging stuff in that area, along with some other teaching happening on the defensive side of the ball, the offensive line coming along, Quinn Ewers getting developed, right? Uh, boy, I, I feel really optimistic about Texas under Sark. Yeah, and, and it'll be interesting because I think that <clears throat> part of it uh, will be his ability, Paul, to continue yep. to bring in playmakers uh, to suit his offense, right? So not only the Quinn Ewers, but the guys that go with the Quinn Ewers. So the B. John Robinson or Cedric Baxter. Who's next after Xavier Worthy? And or it, does Isaiah Nayor come back? Those are the kinds of players that a coach like Sark has to have to maximize, right? Uh, because he specializes, in my opinion, in getting people into advantageous situations that then they can take advantage of fully. And if you don't have those players, it's nice to get a 15-yard gain, but yeah. it's nicer to score a touchdown. You know? it's, it's nicer to scheme up the 15-yard gain for sure, and then the guy shakes two people and takes it 55 and struts into the end zone and the cannon fires, right? Uh, but, hey, you're watching the same huddle of 2023 recruits that I am. These are the guys we need to be recruiting. Baxter, yeah, no, I, wide receivers – Hell, one of the receivers I had a question about, I saw his first game film against Klein Oak. And I thought, that's why we're, okay, that's why we're recruiting him. Got it. That's why we, you know, verbaled that guy. Got it. Clear. Yeah. Moving on. Yeah. Jonah Wilson, nine catches for 190 yards. And just look, I mean, he did a couple different things. He caught the ball competitively, uh, yep. went up and got it. Then, you know, showed some real acceleration downfield. Uh, some make you miss ability. It, it's, it was an impressive pl uh, display, not only him, but uh, Ryan Niblett, uh, Jonte Cook, Jalen Hale, they're also after. Uh, I agree with you. It's, it's You have to pick and choose, right, who you want to be. Um, and what Sark wants to be is an elite offense with elite playmakers. Cedric Baxter, I don't know if you saw his, his film this past week. It's ridiculous. I mean, he went for like 20 carries for 220, you know, and one of them was this, this little thing where he went down the sidelines and literally he was, it's like a wisp of smoke, you know, he's like, wow, you're by you. Um, and so I think that, that, I think they're going in the right direction uh, from that standpoint. The question I have, and I think that is fair, is the defense. Yeah. Um, you know, are, are we going to see a, a Texas defense that can recruit to the same level? and or play as a unit together at an elite level. Because, look, Oklahoma State hasn't had elite, elite talent. They've had good talent. Mm -hmm. But they've played elite defense at times. Yes, they have. Te Texas needs uh, the defense, if it's not going to have all the, the blue chips in the world over there, 
they need to have an elite unit that plays together as one. And that's the question, uh, right, that I have uh, for the Longhorns right now is I, I think that Sark's on the way on offense. I wonder where he's at on defense when you're talking about the trajectory of the program. I think he's making some changes and has made some changes and some young guys are coming in that are making a, a mark. Um, but it's still it's still a question that's up in the air. Yeah, you know, I, I don't want to oversimplify this, but defense is about basic development, positional development, and Jimmy's and Joe's. You know, Texas has been down the last 10 years, but we've still fielded good defenses in some of those years. You know, Todd Orlando's first defense, that was that was a damn good unit. And Charlie Strong's first year. Damn good unit. Will Muschamp, uh, even as our light was fading, we were still playing good defense and we had good players. And so that is an area where if you don't have the Jimmies and Joes, you better play cohesively and you better all be on the same page, right? But that's not what Texas should aspire to. We're not a freaking service academy. I mean, I, I love those guys. I respect them. In fact, I just went and watched an Air Force practice the other day with a, a, a buddy of mine who was kind enough to invite me, his son plays for the Academy, man, they're great kids. They're, they're really smart. They can handle a lot. You can put a lot on their plate. They're very cohesive. I'm, you know, I'm looking at these guys and just and chuckling because I'm like, you know, they don't look that impressive on the hoof, right? You know, they, they look like good athletic young college guys, but you know, I'm walking past the offensive linemen. They're all six, two, you know, they're all six, one, uh, you know, big, strong, fit kids and, you know, yes, sir, no, sir. And great guys. But, you know, we can aspire a little higher than just being scrappy and playing well together. Right. Uh, you know, Texas should be out there dominating. And I do think we have the ability to recruit to that. And the question is, do we have the ability to develop to that? Because there is a big development aspect to this. And it's not, you know, it's not just S and C, but it's also the mental part. It's also keeping the guys in school, keeping them focused on football. Do you have a football culture? Do you take football seriously? Are you recruiting guys who take football seriously or is getting a scholarship to the University of Texas their life's dream and now they're done? The minute they walk on campus, they're done, they're out. They're just gonna have fun. So, you know, that's part of this too, from a holistic standpoint. I feel like we're close. I really do. And I really hope that we can push it over the top and, and make the little modifications and, and have the patience. And, you know, there's an aspect of luck to this, Bobby. You know, this team, if it, if it surprises us and goes 10 and 2, we're going to have a couple of lucky breaks that got us there. Well, you know, it, it, the football is not round, right? It's oblong and bounces funny. And um, football results are binary. You won yes. or you lost. And no one gives a damn how competitive you were a year later. It's just in your record. No one cares that we lost. You know, if you lose to Alabama 31 to 30, hey, awesome. I'm proud of the team. It's an L. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the Roaring Twenties. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device, or play on PC through Facebook games. Doesn't help get to a better bowl game. No. Right? Yep. Hey, uh, uh, the other thing I'd have to say, all those 6'1 and 6'2 offensive linemen, I think the reason for that is all those Air Force guys have to fit into a jet, right? They have to yeah. fit into the cockpit. <laughs> well, there are the Chad Hennings of the world, but they they fold into an A-10 warthog, a, a six-foot-six <laughs> guy. But, uh, yeah, they, they do have to pull that up. It was interesting. I was talking to an Air Force guy about that fact, and he said our ability to recruit height varies depending on who – uh, is effectively the the equivalent of the secretary of the Air Force. I don't know who that is. Like there's the secretary of the Navy, secretary of the Army. They said that comes from way up high. And, you know, he said, sometimes you'll see some 6'5 dudes running around like playing defensive end. But he said, other times there's periods where there's no dude on our team taller than 6'3 unless he hit a late growth spurt 
as his junior season. So <laughs> they got to go recruit all those 16 and 17 year olds that I hope they grow like uh, Paul Wadlington, uh, producer, uh, talent host of Everyone Gets a Trophy podcast. Uh, it's a must listen uh, for Longhorn fans. Uh, Paul, uh, earlier uh, earlier on uh, Wednesday, uh, we're taping this Wednesday night late uh, for Thursday morning. Um, earlier on Wednesday, uh, the ESPN and Fox, it was learned, is negotiating early, a year early potentially, with the Big 12, such that the Big 12 might get out of its contract earlier than expected. Obviously, that impacts the Longhorns. <laughs> Uh, and Oklahoma and their idea of going to uh, the uh, the SEC perhaps earlier than 2025. I continue, I've, I've checked with my sources, I continue to hear the target year for the Longhorns, despite all of this uh, brouhaha earlier uh, on Wednesday, I still hear it's expected to be 2024. That's kind of what they're shooting for. That being said, this is somewhat new to the equation uh, although it may or may not change what it means to the Longhorns. I, I can independently corroborate your 2024 unless our sources are the same. So we'll talk about that after the podcast. We could be in an echo chamber. We're talking to the same two or three dudes. But uh, yeah, I've heard the same. Hey, what's encouraging about this is the Big 12 is trying to get ahead, trying to get the jump on the Pac-12, because which that's not very hard to do. It's like winning the 100 meters race at fat camp, right? Uh, the, the thing about this that I think people maybe haven't fully grasped is right now it's, it's the big 10 and the sec and everyone else is so distant. They're not even in the race. Like you can't see them in the picture. So it doesn't really matter whether you're number three or number four, you might as well be number 14 uh, in terms of demographics, TV attractiveness, contract competitiveness, blah, blah, blah. You know, there are still big 12 people and journalists, God bless them, who think that U of H, Baylor, TCU, and tech combined are going to deliver the state of Texas TV sets. And they are not going to do that. The state of Texas TV sets will be delivered by the Texas Longhorns and the Texas A&M Aggies. And that's it. And that's just how it's going to be. It's like, it's like thinking UCF, you know, the new big 12 edition is going to be delivering Florida television. No, you know, that's just not going to happen. Uh, you know, really the, the most useful demographic addition is BYU because they have a, a natural fervent fan base that's national. They're sort of a poor man's Notre Dame in that respect. They have their sort of subway alumni, uh, you know, call them their mission alumni. And uh, they're also one of the top, attract you know attractions in their region the rest of the big 12 when texas leaves and ou leaves you know a lot of these are the number two number three number four number five school in their region much less number one and that's that's all the big 10 and the sec is is the number one or the number two school in their region right team after team after team after team so yeah of course the big 12 wants to look at getting a contract sealed up as quickly as possible I think one interesting dynamic that could affect our 2024 outcome, maybe, is what if a network is willing to effectively cover our buyout, OU and Texas's buyout, in an inflated contract? In other words, they'll give the Big 12 a demographic, a contract their dem demography does not deserve, and they'll just say to, hey, contingent on this is you let OU and Texas out. So we can get this thing rolling in 23, right? That that could happen. I don't think it's probable, but there's a possibility there because I, I know the Big 12 wants to extract their pound of flesh from Texas and OU. And I know OU can't, they can't pay. Texas doesn't want to pay. OU can't pay. Uh, we say poor Aggies all the time. We should start saying poor Okies. Yeah, I, I listened to this and, I, and I, I was thinking to myself when it, when it uh, came up today. Um, you know, and, and we wrote about this, you and I, and we participate in a group chat or a group text on Inside Texas uh, via cell phone uh, during Our the day as a way, as a way to, to kind of keep in, in contact with one another about what we're publishing, what news yep. we're hearing, et cetera. 
And you and I were both on the same, I think, uh, wavelength, I guess is the best way to put it, about uh, what this means uh, for the Big 12. Uh, the one thing I would say to this, and, and you mentioned BYU uh, having a, reg a strong regional appeal, because they are. They're, if they're not the number one in the Mountain West, they're number two or three, right? Uh, I, would, I would say that they probably have Colorado in the Mountain West as the only other school, maybe Utah, but nobody else. Um, as, as a now Colorado native, I can assure you the Colorado Buffaloes, uh, while beloved, are not a dominant part of the mind share here. The, the right. days of uh, Darian Hagen are long past. Yeah, but you get my point, right? They're, they're, in, that, they're in that category. Uh, that, that means to me that Washington and Oregon, which are the dominant mind share in the Pacific Northwest, a growing area of the country right now, Yep. Um, they, they carry more cachet. And if they get added to the Big 12, then all of a sudden that looks a little bit better. But yep. what's their, why would they go to the Big 12 if they're really holding out for the Big 10, right? Um, what's the, the impetus for them to move? And I feel like that's going to be the domino that, that really decides all of this. Uh, ultimately, because if they if they go to the Big 12, then the Big 12 is viable. I don't necessarily think it's the Big 10 or the SEC. To your point, it's not even close. Um, the Pac-12, which is now the Pac-10, I guess, uh, you know, they were the Pac-8 at one time, by the way, Paul. I, yeah. I think they're headed. I think they may be headed back that way. Yeah. Um, uh, I, I feel like all of this is coming down to a couple of pieces to the puzzle and then we'll figure it out. But I just wonder what's going to happen to teams like ASU and Arizona, um, uh, Stanford, Cal. Uh, those are not, you know, they're not great programs in some ways, but they're not bad. I mean, they're definitely put as much money in, into it as Cincinnati or, you know, some of these other schools that are still in a big, big conference. So I don't know. Uh, I'm kind of I've kind of intrigued by it all. Uh, and wondering where these next pieces go, because I think the Big 12 would probably like ASU and Arizona, as well as Washington and Oregon, right? So all yeah. four of them have, have a landing spot. Stanford then probably goes independent or something like that. Cal just folds 10. Those four that you mentioned be stronger additions to the Big 12 than many of the native schools in the Big 12. So they Oh, most of them. Most yeah. Of them. I mean, I take Arizona State in my conference. I'd happily, right? They're the, the classic what Charles de Gaulle once said about Brazil. It has potential and always will. And that's how I feel about Arizona State, right? They have so much potential and they sort of always will because it's never been fully fulfilled. I guess John Cooper had a moment, right? Uh, but yeah, I mean, it's a huge campus. They certainly can attract talent of, of all varieties if you've been to Arizona State. Uh yeah, I mean, it, I, that's a that's a that's a that's a demographic play. That's a school I'd gladly have in my conference, and the Big Twelve would should fall over themselves to let them in. They're they're better than Houston, that's for sure. So, yeah, I I don't know what will become of some of these schools. Some of them are just kind of going to be left in the rain for no good reason. Whereas, you know, TCU is in the Big Twelve. I mean, you know, I, I appreciate what Gary Patterson did there, and it made him relevant. But you know, it's it's a small private school in, in Fort Worth. Yeah, no, I, I, I'm, I'm, a, I'm of the same opinion in, on many of these things. Um, the issue, I think, is that football is so important in the state of Texas that even second and third uh, tier, tier uh, I don't want to say programs because they're not second and third tier programs as much as they are second and third tier, tier um, viewership. Yeah, yeah, viewerships, right? I mean, that's aud audiences uh, as far as their draw. Uh, I feel like that that gets us into this scenario of football being more important in the state of Texas, thereby, you know, Cal, who's, you know, been playing football forever, doesn't get seen in the same light as even TCU. And Cal has an enormous number of living alumni. They have, you know, I mean, it's, it's a great academic school, but a lot of folks don't care there and and the, their their administration and the city of berkeley are have declared open war on the cal football team poor justin wilcox uh i mean talk about getting the bbs in the box right like the old mac crown i mean 
what happens when someone keeps actively knocking the BBs out of your hand every time you're trying to put it back? So I feel bad for him, but you know, tough luck. Uh, yeah. You know, there's nothing I, you know, I'm not interested in helping them out. So uh, yeah. The other thing that's kind of interesting too about viewership is some of it's regional and that's true. You want to, obviously you want to own the state of Texas television sets for obvious reasons. But one of the things that is a little subtle that's interesting if you study some of this is that there are certain schools that have a larger passive national draw, not just what they dominate regionally. So point of that is when Texas is good, Texas has a larger share of national draw of people who will just watch Texas because it's Texas. Uh, and these are people living in New Jersey who have no affiliation to the University of Texas. Uh, and I saw this because I used to travel quite a bit for work. And I'd see Texas Longhorn hats in Newark Airport all the time. And sometimes I'd chat with someone and be like, hey, you know, why are you wearing a Texas hat? I don't know. I just like TJ Ford. You know, I just like Vince Young. And, you know, Texas is on TV all the time. I like Texas. So uh, BYU is actually one of those teams on a lower level because of the LDS influence. And there's LDS all over the country, right? So they watch BYU. And... A uh, similar thing I've heard, or I haven't looked at this as deeply as what say a Texas or Ohio state, you know, which is sort of a brand, but Oregon apparently has that a lot of it having to do with their clashy day glow uniforms and, you know, their, their fashion forward perspective. Uh, plus they're a fun, entertaining team when they're good. Right. So they have like a, a larger passive national draw. And that also factors into your TV viewership. It's not just a regional play of trying to dominate your state or region. No, I mean, I, th I think that they overcame what Washington was in the Pacific Northwest. Yeah. Um, in many ways. I mean, uh, Washington, much more well-funded overall as a university, uh, larger population base, big city in Seattle. Uh, but Oregon is the darling of, of sorts. Not unlike, uh, I think it's almost like a Miami with more substance. Because or more backing when Miami became a really big program in the 80s and 90s. Uh, but you see what happens sometimes when the emperor has no new no clothes, right? And you know, Bobby, that team you nailed that. Miami is exactly what I'm talking about because they had no regional draw. They couldn't even sell out their stadium when they're winning national titles. Yet they had a massive national draw. I was tuning in to watch Miami. I mean, I live in Texas. You know, I promise you, people all over the country were tuning in to watch them. Sometimes as a hate watch, you're, you're hoping they get whipped. You're hoping, you know, their guys get injured on the field. Some people hated them so much. So I think that's why people watch the Cowboys and the Raiders to this yes. day. right? I mean, love them or hate them. Either yeah, way. Yeah, the Cowboys get a lot of – they get a lot of love watch. There's Cowboy fans in Colorado, right? This is owned by the Broncos. But, you know, you also get a lot of hate watching, right? And – and you're, you nailed it. The Raiders haven't been relevant since Howie Long was there, right? Or, or Jeff Gannon, I guess, was the last. Rich, Rich Gannon, Rich Gannon. Rich Gannon, Jeff Gannon, who's that? The Delaware Blue Hen. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's the last time they've been relevant, but people still watch them because it's the Raiders and they have this mystique and people want to see them win or lose. Yeah, I, I agree. I, um, talking with Paul Wadlington, uh, Inside Texas, writer uh we'll write a post-mortem uh on saturday night's game with louisiana monroe i think uh, it's a, a must read for everybody that likes the longhorns uh also produces a uh, podcast called everyone gets a trophy uh he's on there frequently i listened to one part of one i haven't got all the way through it yet uh earlier uh on tuesday uh with joe cook i thought that all right maybe been earlier on wednesday with joe cook uh, but uh, Paul, uh, always doing good work. Paul, the, the question I want to go to next is uh, the transfer portal. And they, they've come out with two new, a new rule that, that kind of defines better what the transfer portal can be as far as time periods. Okay. And so that's not that big a deal. And I, I don't really want to talk about the actual uh, new ruling that they came out with on Wednesday uh, that defines those time periods. I actually want to talk about what you think it means to college football long-term. Uh, I was talking to Jerry Hamilton uh, on Tuesday and we were talking about how uh, I, I 
compared the recruiting to the NFL draft and the portal to free agency. Yep. Uh, do, you, do you see the same thing there? And what are the kind of the nuances in the way you think about that as a whole? Yeah. Well, so one difference, I mean, talk about a change. You know, college football coaches used to almost have a godlike power over their players. And the NFL coaches were more subject to their whims and let's keep guys happy. And, um, you know, there's what the famous Jimmy Johnson story of uh, someone was sleeping in a film room and he cut him. Remember? And then they said, what if that had been Emmett Smith or Michael Irvin sleeping? And he said, I would have whispered. (laughs) 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 So, you know, NFL coaches had to have a little more deference and, and, and emotional intelligence, I think, with their players. Uh, plus, they're men, right? They're, these are grown, grown-ass grown men. Um, it's completely shifted because, Bobby, the NFL free agency, you got to play out your contract to get free agency. And if you don't report, you can hold out. You don't get paid. College, this is better than – this is more open than free agency. You can leave whenever. You can leave at any time. There's no contract, right? So you've just had a complete reversal of power dynamics. College coaches now have less control over their roster and their team than an NFL coach. At least that guy's got contracts. At least you've got, you know, clauses about what happens if you don't report, if you don't practice, if you fake an injury, all that kind of stuff. Uh, there's none of that in college. So I think that's utterly transformative. I, I think you and Jerry are right. And you and I talked about this very early on. I said very early when this all came through, if you're not building scouting departments that are focused entirely on other college rosters, I don't, I'm not talking about your high school scouting department or your JUCO scouting department. And I don't mean you're doing your forward scouting of what offense do they, you know, what, what do they like to run on third and four at Kansas state? I mean, do you have dudes perusing and pouring over every roster in FBS and FCS looking at two-time FCS All-Americans who want to do their last year, you know, in the limelight trying to get NFL attention? Hey, where's that five-star that we recruited two years ago? Oh, he's running second team behind that All-American. I wonder if he's pissed off. I wonder if he wants to get out of there. Let's contact him. Let's get the pulse. Now, that's tampering. I know Texas would never do that. But other programs might do that, Bobby. So uh, we have to develop a scouting department every bit as robust as the scouting department they have focused on high school players. And it's got to be, you know, like in the NFL, when you are going through training camp and preseason or you're trying out for a team, your film isn't just for that team. Your film is for every other team in the league who's doing lateral scouting. And, and you'll see teams all the time put a guy up on waivers and, and pray, like, God, I hope he clears waivers. And if it's the Jets or the Miami Dolphins, the freaking Patriots claim that guy every time. <laughs> and, then, and then that guy ends up being an, an all-pro. So, um, yeah, I mean, Texas has to devote those resources. I know recently they have started to flesh that department out. I know you've met the gentleman who's, who's heading it up. I would devote as much personnel, as much time and energy to that recruiting, portal recruiting, as I would to high school recruiting. Because I think you are going to start having some college football teams build out half their roster every year off of transfers and mercenaries. Yeah, I, I feel like you're, you're, you and I are on the same page on this. Um, any ability, I, I talked to, got into discussion with, with someone about this probably 25 years ago when I first got into the business, uh, 20, 30 years ago. And it was a uh, recruiting coordinator um, that was at the University of Michigan. And uh, they, at that time, Michigan was one of the top two or three programs in the country. And he told me he looked at uh, his scholarship and that, that they had already gone down to 85 scholarships, which is the current number. And he said that if you don't try to get the very best with every single one of those 85, you're doing your whole program a disservice because half the guys you think you hit on, you missed. Yep. Because there's just, there's no way, there's no way to be perfect in this thing. Um, and so if you're not 
seeing those things, those scholarships as sacred resources that you should never, uh, you know, take lightly and not uh, put as much into it as you can, then you're not going to maximize your program. Um, Michigan went through a, that guy left, got, he retired. So did a bunch of their coaches and all of a sudden Michigan fell on hard times for a good decade, right? Two, two decades almost. Um, but it speaks to the need uh, for people to understand just how important each and every scholarship is and how it comes in is kind of almost irrelevant, whether it's through recruiting or through the portal. It, it really doesn't matter because at the end of the day, it's taking up one of those 85. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, to, to reinforce your point, Bobby, look at the amount of energy, time, data that the NFL, the pros, put into drafting. And they have a longer resume to work on. They have a guy's entire college career, not just a couple of grainy huddle films, right? And, and they still bust. They still draft Jamarcus Russell. They still, you know, bust on guys that if you would ask me, I'd have been like, oh, he's, I don't see how this guy could fail. They still sit and debate, man, Ryan Lee for Peyton Manning. At that time, NFL GMs were split, like honest to God, split 50-50. I mean, God forbid we get to the NBA with Greg Oden and Kevin Durant, right? You know, I saw Greg Oden run on a basketball court one time, and I said, well, it's Kevin Durant. (laughs) This guy, he runs like 40-year-old Robert Parrish. Like, this isn't going to end well. Uh, But, you know, I I know there's – wiser basketball minds who will tell you why Greg Ogan was still the correct pick, whatever. I mean, the, the point is the pros put a lot of resources, a lot of energy into this, and they still bust half the time. So why wouldn't college? And, and I think one of the things that I always took from the Spurs that I admired is that when they make a mistake on a player, boy, they don't hold on to that guy for long. He's, he's out. And they're not because they're not invested in that guy, because what happens when you hold on to a player who's unsuccessful and he stays on your, you know, he even gets up re-upped on a contract and now you're married to him. That's because someone's invested in that guy and he's worried about his job if he has to speedily trade him away a year later at a loss. But if you have a, a really good, healthy organization where you're not playing the blame game and you say, hey, anyone can mess this up then I do think you have an opportunity to remake your roster very quickly and very cleverly every year. And I think, you know, you're enforcing a vitality curve and the more Texas can do that, the better. I will say that's an area that I've seen with Steve Sarkeesian. I think he's doing a good job, you know, compare the, the grad, the grad transfers and portal transfers that we had in year one versus year two. Uh, You know, it's a considerable difference in, in talent and, and athletic ability. Um, I, I just remembered of an article and I was pulling it up while you were talking a little bit uh, that was published by ESPN earlier this year. Hmm. Um, because I, I literally remembered what, an article that I had read and I knew about this at the time to some degree when Peyton Manning was selected over Ryan Leaf. Uh, the guy that, that made that choice was Bill Polian, uh, yeah. who helped architect the, the Buffalo Bills before uh, becoming the GM at the, with the, uh, the Colts and uh, picking Peyton Manning over Ryan Leaf. And he literally is quoted as saying there was a 50-50 dichotomy on our staff between Peyton Manning and Ryan Leaf. Um, wow. the, other, the other thing that he did, uh, he, ta- he timed the snap from center to the time the player released the ball. Hmm. And Peyton was like, you know, milliseconds faster. And that's one of the reasons why he went with Peyton Manning. So that was a tiebreaker? One, one of them. No, no, wow. no. I didn't say tiebreaker. Uh, okay. But that was one of the things that that he noticed uh, and uh, was was of interest to him and, and meant so much uh, because, you know, football is not only a game of inches, but when you're playing quarterback, it's a game of milliseconds of making a decision. Um, but, but that kind of uh, diligence – and forethought is what we're talking about when you talk about using the portal uh, in a better way, uh, recruiting better overall and adding more talent to your team. Um, you know, I want to finish this, uh, this uh, 
podcast up, Paul, by asking you really uh, what you think of the Longhorns uh, headed into ULM, uh, what you're most anxious to see and interested to see this weekend, uh, and and just give me your thoughts on on Texas as they head into uh, the game with ULM. I am going to denigrate all expertise I might have pretended I have in any of this because I've never seen a Texas team I have more questions about. That they're more open-ended on every sort of question I pose about the team. Um, I know B. John Robinson's pretty good. I know Xavier Worthy's pretty good. Uh, I know Jatavian Sanders is much improved, and I think he's going to pull through on some of the, the lofty predictions I made about him in the preseason. Everywhere else, I just I have question marks about this team. And some of them are good question marks. Like, wow, how good this can this guy be? Not, you know, who are can we even put out a good FBS player at this position? A companion to that is other than Alabama, which is about as known a quantity as I as I can find in college football. I I can't find a single Big 12 team that you look at and you say, well, that's that team's got the answers. Oh, wow. They, they've got it together because for every great unit you can find on an Oklahoma State or a Baylor, you can find a, a unit that's a complete unknown that got obliterated by the NFL draft and graduation. So this is a Texas team with a ton of questions, and this is a Big 12 conference with a ton of questions. And I truly have no idea how it's going to pan out. I'll, I'll be able to answer this question a lot better in, in – three weeks and probably in six weeks, but I've never entered a season. Yeah. I kind of pride myself on, you know, kind of looking at Texas and going, eh, all right, I seven and five, we're trying, we're going to make a minor bowl. And yeah, that's kind of how it plays out plus or minus a game. And yeah, I can talk myself into any outcome with this team. I really can. And you know, the key I think with Louisiana Monroe is whatever the result, don't read too much into it whether Texas struggles a little bit and then takes a while to, to get it together or whether Texas blows their doors off. Both of them are uh, potentially very deceptive for trying to predict anything for the season uh, because Louisiana Monroe ain't, ain't real good. And because Texas is such a young team, they have a real potential to be a much better, much stronger team in, in late October than they are in early September. Boy, I agree with that. I, I've been saying that. I mean, if they gel and don't get injured on defense, I, I think that the, the offense will take a little bit longer mm-hmm. because you got, you're got you starting a freshman quarterback, uh, two, two freshmen on the offensive line. You stay healthy on that side, and then the defense start stays healthy and comes along, uh, communicates better, gets, gets better, and plays better together. I think Texas is a tough out late in the year. Um, early in the year, complete question mark because there's just too many question marks, right? And, and you do say that, you say all that, and other teams do have question marks, but Baylor or uh, Oklahoma State doesn't have as many. I mean, they just don't. Um, Texas has more. Doesn't mean that Oklahoma State's better because mm-hmm. Texas may answer theirs better, right? I mean, we're, we're all in that same scenario of, okay, we're guessing a little bit hear what we think is going to happen. Uh, but um, I, I feel like I feel like I'm anxious for Saturday night, uh, excited for football season to start again, uh, and, and happy uh, with where they are when they got here. I mean, because I think recruiting's gone well. Uh, despite last year's season, they, they potentially have two top five classes back-to-back, uh, which, you know, People don't understand sometimes just how valuable that is to stack classes because that's where you end up with, with teams that can, they can reload as opposed to having the one hit wonders, which like a John Makovic did uh, in the late, late nineties with Texas. He, he didn't, wasn't really, didn't feel like he was building anything. He would hit a, hit a home run and then, or hit a triple and then, (laughs) you know, uh, strike out the very next year. So, um, I'm interested to see how this all goes this season. Uh, Texas trying to uh, uh, make a change here uh, and uh, compete in the Big 12 after uh, such a bad uh, season a year ago. Uh, Paul, uh, Inside Texas appreciates you. Uh, I know that you you are one of the guys that's uh, 
been with Inside Texas from almost the very beginning, at least as a as a digital property, not necessarily as a writer for the old uh, print subscription. Uh, but uh, I'm I'm looking forward to what you write in the post game. Always do, always will. Um, it's uh, one of the most exciting reads. It always uh, has your sense of humor. Uh, speaking of boogie night here. Um, so anyways, I, I feel like uh, I'm ready for the season to begin. Uh, ready to to read you as you go forward. And uh, just hope everybody follows us along on here on On Texas Football as well as, as at Inside Texas. Uh, any, any parting thoughts here, Paul, before we get going? First of all, thank you. I appreciate that very much. Thanks for having me on. And I would say one parting thought. Some of my favorite Texas teams of all time were surprising teams. The 1990 Shock the Nation Tour came out of nowhere. Uh, the 2008 Texas Longhorn team. Talk about questions. Hey, we're starting freshmen at safety. We're Colt McCoy. Should we bench this guy? He threw 17 picks last year. Uh, that was a surprising football team, how good they were and, and how good they just played against everyone. Uh, you know, 2005 Texas wasn't surprising. I was at the Michigan Rose Bowl in person. And when we won that game, I turned to the guy next to me and I said, we will play for the national title next year. I just don't know whether, whether we're going to win it or not. That's, that's the only question in my mind. Uh, and now that was very fun team, but sometimes some of the most lovable Texas teams, some of the most enjoyable Texas teams that I ever followed, whether it's 1998 Mac Brown's debut year, when it started off rather slowly, if you'll recall, uh, getting blown out by UCLA, getting blown out by K-State, you're one and two, and then you finish out eight and one. And by the end of the year, you beat the crap out of Jackie Sherrill in the Cotton Bowl, right? Those are fun teams. I have a lot of fondness for them. This team has a lot of questions. Maybe it's got that upside potential. That This will be a team that we say, we look back and say, hey, this is where it started. This is where the worm turned. Yep. All right. Paul Wadlington, uh, a.k.a. Boogie Knight this week, I think. Uh, maybe we'll have you on next week. No telling what you'll be called. No, Kool-Aid McKinnistry. That's what I will be Kool-Aid McKinnistry. You already screwed it up, Bobby. <laughs> now I got to come up. God dang it. <laughs> that is an Alabama cornerback for those not understanding the reference. But uh, anyways, all right. For Paul Wildlington, I'm Bobby Burton. That's been this episode of On Texas Football.